TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. I mean, I've done everything. Glenn Perkins. I've started, I've mopped up, I've closed. Glenn Perkins. We joke around and we have fun and he's different, he's unique. He seems like a guy that I'd like to ever do it. It's me. It's Glenn Perkins on baseball. Sweet. Welcome to the Score North Twin Show. This is Glenn Perkins on baseball. Uh, I have Phil Mackey here uh, with me today. Derek Wetmore is not here. Um, He's with I, Williams Astadio in the minors. Okay, yeah, we sent him down. He, I thought he was doing well, but may, apparently not. Um, you know, there's a few things. One is I, I was at the cabin for the last uh, week in between the, the two shows, so I'm here. I'm I'm fully here, committed. So we don't really even need Derek. Um, he's getting a. I believe he's at high, high level corporate meetings right now. So he's. he's I, got I was hoping that he was out in the sun. No, no. With SPF four thousand, I'd be asking just just straight Crest toothpaste. <laughs> <laughs> so Derek, he's not here, uh, and so we were talking about it after the show last week that his streak of three weeks in a row wearing different headphones was going to end. But it's not unlike a guy that's in the middle of a hit streak that gets a day off. Like you don't lose your hit streak as long as you don't play, right? So, okay, so his so his so headphone streak alive. is still alive. Yeah, I was thinking about that okay. last night when I was driving home from the cabin. I was like, "You know what? I and I don't know, but I have no idea why I would be thinking about that on the way home from the cabin." What other things were you thinking about on the way home from the cabin? <laughs> well, this is radio, Phil. <laughs> um <laughs> So yeah, he's is the streak is alive, but he's not here. So it's just it's just me, uh, Glenn Perkins, and it's it's Phil Mackey. So and it's the now best record in the major leagues again, Minnesota Twins. This is getting more and more confusing. So we had to, this is the second take of me trying to read the opening segment, and Phil made the joke that this is like uh, I'm like Ron Burgundy, and he probably could drop an f bomb into this thing that I read, and I would read it. And thankfully, we're recording this; it's not live, so I won't get fired. But. Um, yeah, so I, I lost my train of thought now. So uh, why don't you start us off, Phil? <laughs> Sounds good, Ben. <laughs> so the Twins right now uh, at forty-four and twenty-one have the best record in all of baseball, and they're kind of going back and forth with Dodgers and Astros. And there's all kinds of things we can dive into uh, that, that just in the, in last night's game alone. But I want to start the show with a quick moment of silence for the Seattle Mariners, who were the ultimate. Fan tease team for the first two weeks of the season, thirteen and two to start the year, and I bet you there were fans who rushed to buy season tickets in the first two weeks. Oh my God, this is great! The Mariners are back. The Mariners are going to be contenders. They're gonna they're gonna flirt with the division. They're ahead of the Astros. There's probably people who spent like a grand or two on season tickets. <laughs> And now I believe is it they're fifteen and forty? It's something like that. Yeah. I mean what what what's their what? record? Twenty eight and twenty eight and forty two. Yeah. So they, yeah, they were thirteen and two and now they're they went fifteen and forty, so good for that. That's that is an accomplishment. It's, in I mean, itself it's, it's right amazing there. when you win thirteen out of fifteen and then win fifteen out of fifty five. <laughs> like uh, how you but that's like I mean, and this goes back even to where the twins are at right now. And not not right now, I guess, but like as this season was going on the first month or two, it was like at what point does it become real? We clearly know that two weeks isn't enough of a sample size yeah, to be like the Mariners yeah. taught us that. Yeah. yeah, like okay, maybe a team can start out, you know, thirteen and two. Uh, I feel like the Mets did that a few years ago as well. That they had like a just got up to like a like a nine and zero start or ten and one start, and then like 
didn't even didn't you know it was one of those like oh, man if they play 500 baseball the rest of the year they're going to be a 91 yeah. team and it was like they won 68 games and yeah like, well may, maybe it's more than the first 10 days or two weeks of the season but and I remember we did that with the twins the first when they were eight games above 500 or nine games man if they just play 500 ball they're going to win 88 games well we can keep playing that because I think this is their high water mark now they haven't this is the first time they've been 23 games over 500 uh, so. If they played 500 baseball the rest of the way, they would be a 92, let's round it to 92 or 93 win team if they just leveled off the rest of the year. And that wins you the division. There's there there's not a team in this division that's going to even make an attempt to win 90 games at this point because the Indians are going to start selling now that their rotation is decimated. So. Well, yeah, and, and even, you know, I, you look back to last week's series and people were talking about how big that series was. And... You know, hey, they you know it. They don't want to leave their you know only up eight and a half or whatever. And it's like you think that, but then at the same time, you know, they go there, they lose two out of three, so they lose one game in the standings. But then you know they get to go play Detroit. They win two out of three there. Now they win again last night. But the Indians once they're they're right back to where they started before that series. And what ends up happening is, is like you said, like they if they and they're not going to play 500 baseball for the rest of the season. They're going to play 500 baseball for a stretch at some point, I would assume. Uh, you know, that you don't think they're going to go win 115 games this year, where where you really can't. You know, you're you're winning like two out of three every time out, but they they, they time is going to run out. Is what's going to happen, and we talked about that way early in this show at the beginning of the season. That getting off to a good start. Is is kind of like putting your foot on on their neck, and then the longer it goes, the longer you have your foot on their neck, the the closer it gets to where they're like, all right, I get, we got to give up, got to start selling, got to right. start trading. Trevor and so Bowers. yeah, and it, you know if it's a four game lead, it's still a good that's still a good position to be in. But but a team is going to think, you know, what, we still have a chance here. Maybe we're going to hang on to our guys. You know, maybe the Twins are going to slow down. Maybe they're going to have some injuries, things like that, and so. Having a lead like this, and it's just going to kind of stay. Like it just at at some point, you know, it's 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 just like like a three run or four run lead in a game. We're like, oh yeah, you think you can come back? And then all of a sudden, you're like, man, it's the eighth inning. We yeah. only get six outs, and we got to score three runs. Like I was thinking about that in last night's Twins game. Um, you know, where where they were they were they tied them, and then they got down, and um, you know, you're like, you know, they still they'll get a couple guys on and hit a home run, and. You can do that at any point, but I'm like, I looked at the one point. I'm like, dang, like they're going out there for the eighth inning, and they're down, I think two. Five, you know, it was five, five to three. three. Yeah, and I'm like, they're down two now. Like, it's gonna get. I know that they don't have the relievers that that other teams have, or even that they had last year, but it starts to get late fast, and that's what's gonna happen with this, where you have a ten game lead, and all they have to do. I mean, you could look at it, and they're not looking in the rearview mirror, but all they need to do is keep pace with the Indians, and they're gonna win the division by ten games. Well, like, there's also just that's a, crazy. Off your point from last night. Because I was I was watching and they were you know Mike Leake got the handshakes and the hugs in the dugout and you know even even um, you know not, I'm not ripping Dick Bramer but you know you know Mike Leake with a wonderful job and Dick and Burt were and I'm watching that start thinking the Twins are pounding this guy and that there was one inning where it was like laser was the, line drive to left that was his last inning he pitched I think it was a it was a, the line drive to left the line yeah. drive to right it was bullets everywhere and it's not like the Mariners have a shutdown lockdown they've got some strikeout pitchers in their bullpen but. When I was watching like the just the last six outs of the game, I'm thinking even down by three, there's a certain inevitability about this offense. And I know this sounds crazy, and we 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 brought this up on Mackie and Jeb with Rami earlier this week. This is right now halfway, almost halfway through the season. It's the greatest power hitting team in the history of baseball. 
Just let that sink in for a second. It's the greatest power-hitting team in the history of baseball. It's the way that Twins fans felt watching those Yankees lineups against Twins pitching for all those years. Yeah. And then you put Mariners pitching in front of this lineup, and it was just inevitable that they were going to hit a couple home runs or hit a couple doubles and score two or three runs that were needed to win the game. Yeah, and it's like you watch that lineup, and last night it was the same kind of thing. I hadn't I hadn't watched them play for a few days. Um and so I'm watching last night, and it's like, I mean, you know, Jorge Polanco's been on fire, so Max Kepler caught fire again. So, like, that's one and two, and then they got Nelson Cruz, and then it's Eddie Rosario, who's got 19 home runs. And then it's Miguel Sano, who can hit a ball to the moon. And then it's Jason Castro, or Jonathan Scope hit a home run last night. Then it's Jason Castro hit a home run last night, like your eight guys. Then your ninth guy is playing, like, one of the top, what, 15 guys in the game right now. Yeah. And he's batting ninth, so it like it it just it doesn't. There's no there's no break. Like that's what I was looking for last night. Like I, I kind of just in a moment got into the head of the other pitcher. Like you know, because like I'd see Martin Perez like pitch around Vogelbach a little bit or whatever. Pitch around not pitch around Vogelbach. Pitch around Encarnacion. Like he did in his first at bat when he walked him. You know, he got, yeah, yeah, I'm going to go get the lefty. He should have pitched around him the whole time. He should have, yes. But <laughs> they should just, they should just intentionally walk him every time at, at Target Field. Like it's not fair. But there is, there's no break. Like there is no, like, okay, yeah, you know what? I don't want to face Nelson Cruz. Uh, let's get Eddie Rosario. No, let's see. Eddie Rosario hits lefties the way he does righties. He's got 19 home runs. Uh, is driven in all, you know, taking advantage of the opportunities with the amount of RBIs he's got. It's like, there isn't that break, and then you get to the bottom of the lineup, and it's Jason Castro's. I mean, he's going to be the what eighth guy on the team now to hit ten home runs. I think he's got eight. Yeah, they are just as we continue to throw out just Twins factoids. So they are the first team in baseball history to have seven guys with ten or more home runs before the seventieth game. That's kind of an arbitrary stat, but like, the, like no team has had this many double digit home run hitters this early in a season. Yeah. I guess is the stat. They're also going to have. I mean, there's nine spots in the lineup. They're going to end up with more than nine guys with more than ten home runs. Yeah, they, their lineup goes. I mean, their lineup really goes thirteen deep if you count. If you think that Williams Astadio is going to be back up and smacking the ball around at some point. But yeah, I mean, because Bucks, I think Buxton's got eight. Uh, Castro's got about eight. So those guys are going to get there. And then I'm trying to think. Uh, Marwin Gonzalez. I mean, you think he's? I mean, he's, I he he's a fifteen to twenty homer guy too. So yeah. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It, like, it's, and I don't think Sano's at ten yet either. So like, yeah. they're, they're, they could end up with like eleven or twelve guys. Like, I remember a couple years ago we had like four or five guys. It was like, dang, we're hitting some bombs. <laughs> no, you, like, you were hitting bombs then. Now it's bomb boss. Yeah, which is, I guess so. What the, the other thing I wanted to ask you? So uh, the Trevor May became the sixth twin to record a save. So it's this is the definition of closer by committee. It, if it makes sense, and Taylor Rogers was unavailable with it sounded like after the game uh, some back stiffness or something, yeah. so he, he probably would have pitched the ninth inning. But they've got six guys with saves, and it is it is the most closer by committee I think we've ever seen here with the Twins. What do you know about Trevor May? I mean, you pitched with him; he kind of came up through the system and was on rosters with you. I've always looked at him and said, I feel like. He could be a big-time late-inning reliever, but he's had control issues. Um, last night, he got a little lucky with one of those outside. He got that Encarnacion strike <laughs> that was three was full pretty generous. The plate. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, he, but he locked it down last night. Yeah, you know, I, I think I think the biggest thing for him is just starting an inning. I, to me, he's not he's not the like fireman kind of guy. You know, he that's that's like I like I like Taylor Rogers in that spot. 
Um, even Ryan Harper a little bit, like not probably not as much because the stuff isn't overpowering. But Taylor Rogers for me, like it, it, he's the best reliever, and they're using him the way you should use a best reliever. Like I've gotten into this stuff with people about like roles and the closer, and I mean it, it's ambiguous stuff. But you you just if you know what, when you might pitch, you're gonna have a little bit more success. When the phone rings, everybody in that bullpen could could should kind of know like. Who 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 are we gonna who's gonna get called? Like they should know who's gonna pitch or who Jeremy Hefner is gonna say get loose. Um, Trevor May for me is just it, it, I don't seventh inning, eighth inning, ninth inning, like that kind of stuff. I mean, I guess if you're gonna have one guy throw one inning, I'd want it to be the ninth, just just so all the other guys know. Like a, they can eliminate that inning, and then b, let's let's these are our innings. Like we're gonna get the ball to him. And whoever that is, I, I don't I, like Taylor Rogers has done a great job in the role that he's in. They've done a really good job of not overusing him. Um, so I, I, I like him not throwing ninth just by rule. I, I like him seventh eighth. They yeah. say, hey, be ready at the beginning of the seventh, from the beginning of the seventh to the end of the eighth, middle of an inning, start of yeah. an inning. But but I like Trevor May starting an inning. I like him. St- I don't like him coming in with guys on base. I don't even really like him coming in like if there's a one out and nobody on. I just he he's he's he came up as a starter. He's still got I think a little bit some of that mentality of of just I, I, I want him to I want him just to be able to go out, start fresh and and let it yeah. eat. Can you can you give us just in terms of start to finish because I think I think your your point of view on this is really interesting. You know, my point of view on bullpen usage has been having never come anywhere near like pitching in a baseball game has been, well, you should you should just create a group of seven or eight guys that's trained and ready to pitch whenever they need to be deployed, right? Just like yeah. and and that sounds great on a spreadsheet. Yep, it does. But can you take us through like what's the, how long does it take to get heated up for a game and when you know like when do you start thinking about like what's the whole process for a reliever? It, 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 I mean, everybody's different, and I don't think I'll answer that in a second. But I don't think that that's the reason why like a guy could throw can't throw the seventh one night and the ninth the next night. It's just it's a routine thing. So I guess it is it is kind of that. But for me, it's just you want to know when you know Tyler Duffy knows in the fifth to sixth he's going to get up and go. When it gets past that, then he's probably the, an extra inning guy. So he knows, hey, you know what? Not that he's just gonna like quit paying attention and like flick sunflower <laughs> seeds in the, beer in the corner. There. Yeah, <laughs> but like he he knows, like okay, I can get, I can, I can at least relax mentally now. Like sitting there, I mean, and this is this is so stupid. This is the stuff that bugs me. About it. Like people are saying, oh, how hard is it to sit in a bullpen out there? Like if you have to sit out there for nine innings and like focus, I I I, I would defy anybody to do to focus for three hours straight doing anything. I mean, come on. Like, so you have, you have your, your kind of areas where guys know this is where we're going to be. And then you have the guys at the end of the game that know, Hey, you know what? I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to sit there with my leg up in the fourth inning when the phone rings and not even think twice about it because it's not my area yet. It's not my time of the game or whatever. So, I mean, and, and what I, so what I, what I did is, I would watch like an inning from the dugout. I'd go out there for the national anthem, all that stuff, and watch an inning from the dugout. And then I'd go in and I'd watch 
some on TV because I always wanted to see. My big thing was seeing those guys that day. Not a huge, it was never a huge video guy, unless I didn't know somebody. But I wanted to see the guys hit the first time through the lineup just to see what they were trying to do, or like you know, if you can pick up something like, hey, he fouled a ball off funny, and now you know maybe his hand hurts or he strained his wrist a little bit, something. If there was anything, so I'd want to see those guys that day. So I'd watch three innings or whatever. I mean, back then, I guess it was sometimes it was like an inning and a third. We'd see nine guys, but you know, I'd watch, <laughs> I'd watch one time through the lineup, and uh, <laughs> that was that was bad. I'd watch one time. All due respect the, to PJ Walters, <laughs> that yeah. was not a shot personally. <laughs> I uh, I'd I'd watch one time through the lineup, and then I and then I would if it if that was kind of going smooth, then I would do my preparation, stretching, and shoulder work, and those things. During that, if it if it if it kind of went quick, or if like maybe maybe I'd start doing all that stuff at the same time, I'd start watching the game, and then I'd get done. So then I'd I'd kind of just hang out a little bit, and then I'd go down to the bullpen, fifth inning, sixth inning, and kind of just get settled in, talk to some guys, you know, I don't know, BS a little bit, and then come about the seventh, in between, you know, middle of the seventh inning, I'd start to mentally focus, I'd start to restretch again, get things loose, play catch with the bullpen catcher with Nate Damon. Um, and kind of prepare to pitch, and so it—that's what I did. That's what helped me. That's what I saw Joe Nathan do. That's what I saw Jesse Crane do. That's what I saw all those guys do. Like they all had a routine, and they all knew. I mean, back then it was you know, and Guardy was more rigid just in general. But those guys knew like six, seven. Like Guerrero's pitching the sixth, Wani's pitching the seventh, Jesse's pitching the eighth, Joe's pitching the ninth, whatever. They all knew like the exact order that they were going to go in, and like it was just boom, 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 boom. We're done. Yeah. And I don't. I think that there's a. I think that there's room to move that stuff around a little bit, and like I think that you can stretch it. I, I'd be curious to know like what, how far you could stretch it. Like if you say to a guy like, you know, be ready from the sixth, seventh, eighth. You know, I think you could do that. I like that. Like just with Taylor Rogers, it's like you're gonna get a you're gonna get a guy out or a couple guys out. And then go back out to the next inning. And I don't love like the get one guy out and then go back out. Like you get up, sit down, go right back out. I don't like that, but kind of just bridge those innings, like fill it in to one guy at the end. Like you have a starter and he's going to try to get as far as he can. Then you can have your bullpen guys that are going to try to get to that last guy. I just, I, I like the way that that sets up. I think Trevor May fits great in that spot. He's got the. He's got the stuff. I mean, as, a clo- as a closer, you're saying. Yeah, we saw 97 last night. And with the curveball, I, I'm curious, and I want to ask him at some point why he's not throwing his changeup as much. And maybe the I, I didn't look. I was going to look at the data before I went and asked him about it, but it seems like he's not. He used to be, a, when he first came up as a reliever, he, or as a starter, he was a fastball changeup guy pretty much. He's got a good breaking ball. But, you know, we saw 97. We saw that curveball last night. Um so he can he can do it. I mean anybody can do it. Like it's I mean I I I was a starter my whole life too. You can do it. You just have to you get put in that spot and you just go and hope that it sticks. And I I I hope that's what Rocco was doing last night was like, "Hey, we got to you know, we're playing a, a crap team. We probably should have lost this game." I mean, I'm sure at some point their win probability was 20 or 30% if that. It might have been lower. He's like, hey, we got a chance to steal one here, but I'm going to run him out there and see what I can get out. Maybe build some confidence. Maybe give him a shot in the arm. Yeah, and hopefully that's what it was, and hopefully it sticks if that's what it was. And otherwise, I mean, it, it was good to see him out getting an opportunity. And 
definitely had some luck, and I think a little bit of bad luck. I mean, he made some good pitches to Vogelbach, and he, I think, poked one out to left field or whatever. Vogelbach so. is like the new. I feel like I feel like Dan Vogelbach has taken over the reins and the the mantle from uh, who is that? Who is the 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 batting gloveless? Catcher for Houston, Evan Gaddis. Evan Gaddis. I feel like like Dan Vogelbach <laughs> is now the D League, the beer league softball player guy in baseball. <laughs> Just gut spilling out, yeah. sawdust big, coming off the handle. Big, he is a big boy. <laughs> um, but you know, I mean, he he made some good pitches. He got he definitely you know that that pitch Encarnacion, not a strike, but that ump missed a lot of pitches on the edges in the bottom of the zone last night. I think that inning that Perez gave up a run uh, late. I think the fourth run he had he threw four strikes to somebody that like he ended up walking, but he threw him four strikes, and it, you know so he's getting squeezed inconsistent. That guy was inconsistent around the zone, and that's because so, he's flipping coins like any other human would yeah, be doing so with ninety five mile an hour cutters. I tell you what though, but they showed that replay. Then Castro did a heck of a job framing it. Like he, if there's a ninety five mile an hour cutter. Coming or like ninety to ninety-five coming across the plate as much as his cutter moves, it's not possible for a human without any sort of lines like lasers to know for sure where that ball crossed. Yeah, no, it's you're, not you're, possible. You're, you're guessing. You're literally flipping a coin. <laughs> I mean, there's that whole area you can look at Brooks Baseball, or whatever. There's that whole two-inch border around the whole plate, and they even when they gray dumps, um, there's that whole stretch around the entire strike zone. That when they get the report back, that it whatever they called is the right call. Yeah, like they literally don't do like you called it a strike, but it's a ball, or you called it a ball, but it was a strike. They just it's a it's a if the pitcher throws it within two inches of home of the edges of home plate, the ump gets the call correct. But then people say, well, just <laughs> make just, make that make the black part of the the edge, just make that part of the plate right. But then like the next region of two inches would <laughs> yeah. would still be ambiguous because yeah. you're just flipping coins. Yeah. So no, it, <laughs> but it's 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 fascinating. Like they literally can't get those pitches wrong. They just know like that's a fifty fifty. Whatever. We're just, we're just gonna give it to them. And, and, and what, I mean, what does it always come down to when you know on a on a big call at the end of the game like it did last night with Encarnacion, a borderline pitch. They're they're getting the pitches in the I mean outside of Angel Hernandez they're getting those pitches in the strike zone like you know ninety nine hundred percent of the time and credits to Jason Castro for being able to frame it up and trick an umpire but with that the game was on the that line. that when they showed that replay that was a hundred percent Castro right there yeah. Um, yeah which is you know why two years ago you wonder why'd you get him like that right there that's the that's seven million dollars right there I guess <laughs> uh, we will speaking of closers I know that so later on we're going to take some questions people were tweeting us questions last night at Glenn Perkins at Phil Mackey at Derek Wetmore and uh, there is a, a a reliever question that we'll get to later on in the show but this weekend Joe Mauer's number seven is going to go up and uh, and be hung up forever no one's ever going to wear number seven again he's a guy that you have a long history with let's come back tell a couple Joe Mauer stories and I've got a couple thoughts on his legacy too here on the Scorner Twin Show. It's Glenn Perkins on baseball. My baseball friends, Mackie here for Federated Mutual Insurance Company. Business owners, I'm talking to you, and I've been one myself. I know what goes into it. You love it, but you're grinding every day, solving problems, taking care of employees. It helps tremendously to have an insurance company that gives you peace of mind as you navigate the challenges of running a business. When you partner with Federated, you get more than just a policy. You benefit from over a century of experience in making businesses as successful as they can be. Visit federatedinsurance.com to find your local representative. Federated Insurance, it's our business to protect yours score north twin show have you guys ever wondered what it's like to be a twin on score north and scorenorth.com
Welcome back to the Score North Twins show. This is Glenn Perkins on baseball. Phil Mackey's here. Derek Wetmore is not. He's uh, plotting his takeover of uh, Hubbard Corporation, I believe, is, is what, yeah. what you said. So He's going to fire us. You alluded to soon. it before the break. Uh, big weekend at Target Field. Uh, I'll be making my return to the pre- and post-game show. So I'll be upright field there for the weekend. So anybody that's uh, coming to the game, I heard that they're selling out this weekend. So that's going to be awesome. really cool. Um so yeah, Fox Sports North set up the right field line there pre-post, uh, half hour before, half hour after. Are you welcoming people to uh, to heckle you or to say hi? No, I was just saying it's good. I mean, I think that's the, that's what's going on, right? The with this weekend, like the sellouts and is it, would you sign it, body parts if people like if someone wanted I you to sign their left head. arm? I signed a dude's bald head the first time I was up there. No, it's Joe Mauer weekend, um, which is just crazy. Like, there's so many things that make you feel old. In life, like I have a buddy that when I met him, his kid was like 10 and he graduated college last weekend. Like, you know, those kind of things like, dang, like, I mean, that probably makes him feel really old, but it makes me feel old. The twins are retiring Joe Maurer's number. Yeah. And like, I remember in 2001, I was, we roomed together at the Lions all-star game. Like we were in the, sitting in there, like watching his brother get beaned by Rick and in, in rookie ball. And then playing in like baseball games and wow, was that Rick Ankeel like back in the minors? He had after, hits, yeah, he yeah. was all the way back down to rookie ball and he hit Jake in the back. Oh my god! Could you and imagine? We were, it was to... on. It was on ESPN because they were like, "Oh yeah, it's Rick Ankeel's first start." And like Jake was batting like in the two hole and he got smoked in the ribs. Wait, was ESPN televising that? It, like his outings, I think, because he was a huge deal. He was. And then he was coming back, so it was like on. It might have been like Sports Center or something. Okay. But it's a great thing for him trying to get his mind right. And by the way, your minor league get it right starts <laughs> are on ESPN. Yeah. But so I'm, you know, we're sitting like in this hotel room in Chaska or Jordan or something somewhere over there, and and now he's his number's getting retired. Like you know, I mean that was eighteen Did, years ago, I guess. But holy crap, are you guys the same age? I'm uh, six weeks older than him. Yeah. So you and uh, did you did you face him in high school? No. So you guys never faced each other? No. Uh, so I, I ended up finding out a long time after, kind of really backwards, um, that I faced him once, and I think we were like in eighth grade. So I got hooked up on this, like, all summer. All they, they, There was a tournament in Highland Park. And uh, this, this group that we knew from North St. Paul... Oakdale, something like that, where we would play winter ball together. And this guy, the, the dad of the one dude, was like, hey, you know, there's this tournament. We want to put a team together. You want to play? I was like, yeah, sure. So I was pitching. We were at Highland Park, and it was one of those fields, and there's a train track beyond left field and, like, some picnic tables and that stuff. And I, I, I was pitching, and this one lefty hit a ball over the train tracks to left field. Off of you. Yeah, the, like the so I, you know, I think I I threw the whole game and gave up like the one run or whatever, and this one dude hit a ball over the train tracks. So then we're in. I never thought anything of it. So then we're in college, and Joe's best friend Tony uh, and I played in college for three years together. And we were taught somehow it came up about we were. I think we were just rehashing like you know the the old high school the stories and stuff that we did and. It's like, yeah, I actually played in a tournament one time in like Highland Park. And, you know, I, I don't remember the team name anymore, but, and I was talking to Tony. He's like, the, you know, whatever that, that such and such. And I was like, yeah. He goes, yeah, Joe and I played in that. 
And I'm like, no kidding. Because I'm like, there's this lefty that hit a rocket the other way. Like dark moppy hair. You're a quiet guy. <laughs> yeah. A little too and quiet. And I'm like, it, you know... It, it, it turned out. I don't know if we ever like confirmed confirmed it, but it, it, I mean, it was just there was way too many like coincidences. How, however, it worked out. Well, how many lefty hitters are hitting a home run that far off of a future major league pitcher in Oppo. eighth grade? Yeah, Apo. Like Apo is, know, is like, the giveaway. And yeah. like you know, I mean, revisionist history, but like in my mind, I'm like, yeah, that's like when he does it, I see him do exactly that. Then in the big yeah. leagues, you know, like. <laughs> But yeah, so I mean, so I was the only time I ever faced him, and and uh, now his number's getting retired. I've been done for two years, and boy, he's, look you're yeah, look at you, just we get old, man. It's uh, time flies. No, it'll be really cool to see though, because and no guy more deserving. Um, well, I think I, I actually here's one thing that can I can I rant for a second because I feel like I've been carrying the like for whatever reason Joe Mauer needs to be defended. I feel like the last ten ten years or so, and. I don't think people give proper credit to how hard and taxing it is to put up offensive numbers as a catcher. So let, let's take the the decade or so that he was a catcher and and start to line that up against his era, against Major League history. Here's a little trivia for you. Major League history, just in, in terms of how taxing it is to be a catcher and also put up offensive numbers. There's 148 players in baseball history with 300 home runs or more. Seven were catchers primarily. So so 300 as a home run threshold is not necessarily a Hall of Fame threshold. It's a, it's a good number and only 148 players ever have reached it. And so it's it's a it's a good measuring stick. Only seven guys with 300 or more home runs were primarily catchers in their career. So when people sit like the my biggest pet peeve is, well you hit all those home runs in 2009. Why is that the only year that a 6 foot 4 guy who's that big hit home runs? And I would say there's literally only like seven catchers ever who hit home runs ever in the history of baseball, yeah. and a lot of those guys weren't getting on base at a 400 clip. They well, were hitting was 320. Just, I was just gonna say they that weren't winning gold Mike, gloves. Mike Piazza was a horrendous catcher. Like when he was a catcher, he was terrible. He never threw anybody out. Like he was, he was only a catcher because like they didn't have anywhere else to put him. Yeah, and back then they didn't know. But I mean, and that's the difference with him is that what he what he did behind the plate along with what he did at the plate is unprecedented. Yeah, there's I think what what bothers me the most is people are so quick to point out oh but he doesn't have home runs or oh but he doesn't he doesn't produce the same power numbers that a 6 foot 4 guy would normally produce and I would say well, let's flip that around. Instead of instead of, you know, comparing the gap offensively between him and Albert Pujols and him and Miguel Cabrera, I would say if Miguel Cabrera was a catcher for 10 years, or if Albert Pujols was a catcher for 10 years, does that dude hit five or 600 home runs? Is he even still playing in baseball right now? No. No. Yeah, no chance. I mean, those guys got... The, they, that's And that's... I mean, look at it. Like, when Joe couldn't catch anymore, where did they put him? First base. Yeah. Like, that's where you put guys when they... You know, if to protect them, to keep them healthy, to... It's the easiest position on the field to play. Mm-hmm. And, and so... That's where guys end up. Now it's not typically where you'd want a guy to start. And so the fact that Joe got to, I mean caught for ten years. I almost think if if he if if we didn't see, you know, the two sixty averages for a couple years there at first base, because it's really it, it that's part of his resume, right? Like he hit two sixty a couple times, three years at first base, and if you compared him to first baseman, it wasn't good offensively. But if he had if you just took his career as a catcher and said, Is this a Hall of Fame career? Three batting titles, gold gloves. 323 career average, 400 career on base percentage. I think it's a resounding yes. And so, if, my, if he got Kirby pocketed, if like when he got that concussion, and if he didn't play was again, done. yep, 
I I think he I I, I mean I think there's more. It's it's different. I don't know if he'd be a first ballot guy, but he's he's in. Yeah, there's no question that ten year stretch. And then the further away you get from that, the harder it is to remember how how really great he was. And that like you talk about like criteria criteria for the um for the Hall of Fame. It's it's longevity definitely, but it's it's just as much how high was your peak and how long was your peak. And his peak was the best player in the game, the best player in the American League, and he was one of the best couple players in the game for like a six-year stretch. Like 2006 to 2012, he was easily one of the top five to seven players in the game for a Mm -hmm. six- or seven-year stretch with his peak being like, you know, that's when you look at like a Johnny Damon. I think he got really close to 3,000 hits. Not He's not even going to sniff the Hall of Fame. Even if he got to 3,000, he wouldn't. He was never like he never had a super high peak. See, you're you're hitting. A, I love this. Like, I think we see eye to eye in terms of criteria. I'm more interested in how good were you at your peak than if you were just really good for 20 years. That's right. why I think it's, I think Johan Santana is more of a Hall of Famer than Harold Baines because for four years, for six years, Johan Santana was the best starting pitcher in baseball. Harold Baines. Not, sorry to be throwing Harold Baines under the bus on this show for no reason, but yeah, but you Harold Baines was best. never the best. No, Joe Maurer. So my criteria is: forget about numbers for a second. Are you one of the three greatest? Maybe five, depending on the era. But are you one of the three greatest players at your position in your era? And for him, the answer was yes. It, it was. I think it was number one. Yeah. For a ten-year stretch at his position for his era. Well, and in your peak, you can't get a higher peak than an MVP. But people throw. Isn't it weird that like people almost throw that out? People look and say, well, he never replicated it. Yeah. But it still counts. Like he well, still did it. It shows how hard it is to win more than like, how hard it is to win more than one. Like why didn't he do that every year? Well, I, mean, I don't know. That's it even, still even Johan with the with the side, he should have won three in a row. He got robbed in oh five by Bartolo. He should yeah, he Bartolo won in 04, won 20 won 06. Game. He should have he should have won it in 05, too. So he's a, then he's a three straight Cy Young. He's probably a first ballot Hall yeah. of Famer. That never would have like he one hundred percent if that vote happened in today's Game. Oh, he w- he wins, game he wins it unanimously. Went to, yeah, Johan wins it unanimously. He was the best pitcher in the game that year, and for that stretch, he had a he had a three year stretch where he was the best pitcher in in baseball. Yeah, and I think he was pretty darn good in 07, too, if I remember right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it's how high is your peak, and then how long did you sustain? And I think there is something to that. I mean, can you be one of the five or ten best players in the in the game for a stretch of time? And he was from 06 to. Oh six to to twelve, I think, and then thirteen. Thirteen, he was having a really good year until he had the concussion. We went to the All Star game together that year, and um, so I mean, he di- he did it on both. And then not not only like you know, MVP is pretty much an offensive category, and and then oh yeah, he won the batting title that year. Oh yeah, and he won the Gold Glove, um, and and so like you you do it on both sides of the ball. And doing it at one of the hardest positions, one of the probably the most physically taxing position on the field. It is the most physically taxing position yeah. on the field. His his major the the major thing missing from his resume is more of a it's more of a team thing. But he never had like Kirby Puckett. If you if you looked at Kirby Puckett's regular season numbers compared to other Hall of Famers, the counting numbers weren't quite there compared to others. But Game Six, nineteen ninety one, he had that. Jack Morris, Jack Morris with. The brilliant performance in Game Seven, like that, becomes a Hall of Fame resume. Kirby Puckett with Game Six, that becomes a Hall of Fame resume. 
if Maurer, I, I think Maurer probably still gets in because I think there's a lot of national writers who look and say, why is it even a question? Jason Stark has been on regularly saying why, he's a Hall and of Famer. I, I think I brought yeah, that one I, game in the postseason, I guess. I think I've brought that up before that the I, that the perception outside of the state of him is way higher than it is inside. And I saw that like at the World Baseball Classic. I've told the story where I'm sitting in the outfield with you know, the other pitchers from other teams and we're all watching him hit and I'm like, Oh yeah, that's Joe, you know, hitting line drives up the middle and over the shortstop's head and they're all like, Man, like just look at him swing and how do you even get him out? Like how do you pitch to him? And I'm like, I don't know. I mean he he rolls over you know, he'll hit a couple hits a game, but he's gonna roll over just as many to to second base. Like I see him get out all the time, which you know, everybody knows you get out seventy percent of the time. So I've seen him get out plenty. But other guys see him and they're like, man, like he is so freaking good. And like that's the perception outside. So it it will be really interesting, um, you know, how, how that all works out. But definitely, one, I mean, hell, he, he, you know, no guy deserves their number to be retired more than he does. And, and, uh, you know, it's it's awesome for him, and it'll be fun to be a part of. Yeah, we've got some uh, some people of, and you can do this every week if you're if you're a fan of the Scornout Twin Show and Glenn Perkins on baseball. If you send us questions, generally send them like a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday because we uh, we do the show middle of the week. But you can send us at Glenn Perkins, at Phil Mackey, at Derek Wetmore, and uh, and we can mix in some of your questions. We've got two or three of them to get to when we come back here again. Scornout Twin Show. It's Glenn Perkins on baseball. How to become a fan of baseball and everything you need to know about how baseball works. And it might get a little crazy, but let's get straight to it. Whoever scores the most runs wins. It's the Score North Twin Show. Twins Twins coverage on Score North and ScoreNorth.com. This copyrighted show is presented by the authority of the Office of Score North. It may not be reproduced or retransmitted in any form, and the accounts and descriptions of this show may not be disseminated without the express written consent of Score North. Thank you, Glenn Perkins. Um, so, you threw it out last night. Uh, if anybody had any questions, so you're going to ask the questions, but this is the first time we've done this. So, we, did, did you spend any time last night coming up with like a name or a bit or. Wow. You know, what, what is this? What are we going to call this? No, I think. Do you have like a I, sounder? I, I got nothing. Did you do any preparation at all? <laughs> I wrote down the questions that people asked us. I'm a conduit between the people and Glenn Perkins. All right. Uh, no, but we should come up with, if we're going to do this on a regular basis, we should at least come up with. I, I, some I, like, name for I it. like adding this in as a, you know, maybe not a weekly, but a bi weekly. Uh, tri-weekly, I don't know. Segment, tri-weekly so. sounds great. Yeah, you yeah. don't see much tri-weekly stuff. Quad so weekly <laughs> That would be monthly, I guess. Yeah, that's monthly. <laughs> so. Yeah, tri-weekly. We'll do this tri-weekly. Yeah. If you guys can figure out how often that is, then uh, yeah. once every three weeks. Yeah, I, I like that. So question number one comes from Jeff W. on uh, the Twitter machine. Which pitchers would you trade for, and how much would you be willing to give up in terms of prospects? Where would you draw that line? Oof. I, I mean, I, you know, I've said, I think, a couple times on this show, um, you know, and if anybody's available, if this isn't like, oh, this guy was reported or, you know, blah, 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 I'm looking, I'm looking at the Mets guys. I'm looking at Syndergaard and, and DeGrom. I mean, I, I think that's where you start. That's the, that's the top those guys are available. I think you got to try to work something out. Wow, that's, that's just uh, it's that it's that it's that help you now and help you later thing that I like that I've talked about what the Astros did with Verlander and Cole. And and if you if you're not going, if you're not going after somebody that's going to make 
your your entire staff better. It it just it seems like a stopgappy. It seems like a eh, ain't gonna really help you. A little bit of a wild card thing. Like I I want I would I would go try to get a an ace. See if you can get an ace. Now that being said, Verlander when the Astros got him, they kind of did a what the Twins did with Martin Perez. Like guys struggled. We think we can get more out of him. We think we can help him. And they did. When they got Verlander, he wasn't the Verlander that he was seven years ago, and he's not. He wasn't the Verlander that he is now. Yeah, that's a major like. Like Syndergaard is has a four and a half ERA, but the but the Twins might see some things that the Mets don't. Just like you said with Verlander. Yeah, and it's just. I mean, that's that's that power arm. That's a. I mean, he's a guy that hell he threw a one nothing shutout this year and hit the home run. Like he's that kind of guy. Like he can go out there and it's and throw a shutout, and and so. You know, I, and again, those it, it, all things being equal, whoever's out there that's available, that's what I'm looking to do is find a find a really good pitcher on a team that's not very good. I'll give you well, just real quick here. So Jacob Degrom is 31 years old here in June. So actually, happy birthday a week from today. Jacob Degrom turns 31 years old. That would and he's got that big contract, so that's probably not and that, he's probably not even going to be a guy that's that's much. In the way of a of a trade guy this year, I wouldn't think. I mean, they just but signed him. Syndergaard but. for sure, though. So Syndergaard, this is amazing. He's 26 years old, and he's still under team control. He can't become a free agent until 2022. So you would get age 26, 27, and 28 Noah Syndergaard for six million dollars, and then whatever else you would get in arbitration. So you'd be getting a very much discounted Syndergaard. But you might be buying low a little bit because his numbers aren't dominant this season. Yeah. So if you think he's healthy you're, you're, and you can tweak some things, <laughs> you're still you're looking at. You have to trade Rice Lewis for that, don't you? Yeah, and I, and I don't know if I particularly have a problem with that. That's the help me now, help me later thing. That you know what, if you're going to lose out on Ron Royce Lewis, you're gonna you're you're getting Noah Syndergaard back. So. How far down the line do you look? Like, is Royce Lewis going to be? Are you projecting him to be a major league regular in three years? So then, so from you know 2023 to 27, is he going to be 29? Is he going to be? That's your six year window with him. Um, but you already have so many pieces in place right now that you know where, where is that trade off? Like, you know, it's like the it's the same thing with like. And it's even it's the same, but it's different with like what the Yankees did when they traded Chapman to the Cubs and they gave up Glaber Torres. Yeah, like that guy's a superstar. The and Cubs if, gave him up. Do the Cubs care? No, they won a World Series. And that's the tough thing. You can't. That's the thing. Like doesn't the, guarantee you getting Noah Syndergaard doesn't guarantee you a World Series, but it, it it has to give you a better chance, right? Yeah. And it and it makes you. It, it, so here's where I'm going. I, I, Ken Giles is the guy that stood out in my head and still does because you you would get. This year, Ken Giles, who, by the way, has a 1 ERA right now and a 15 per 9 strikeout rate for Toronto. And he's pitched in World Series before. I mean, um, he's in his prime. He's 28 years old. But he's a reliever piece. You'd get him this year and next year. And maybe you get a Marcus Stroman with him. Now, is Marcus Stroman as as great on the top end as a Noah Syndergaard? No. Would you get him for as long? No. Um, but could you get those guys without giving up Royce Lewis? Probably, yeah, and I, so I just, those are the things you have to weigh, right? Yep, I, I I totally hear that, and I you know without spending a ton of time like sitting down and like writing it out, like oh okay, this is you know Royce Lewis projections, but like I don't know, you have a chance to you have a, you have a pretty good team right now, obviously, and if you could run out in a series, Syndergaard, Barrios, Odorizzi, one, two, three, <sighs> even just running out Syndergaard and Barrios four times in a seven game series, I mean. You got a, you got a pretty good shot. 
Yeah, and the window will never be as wide as it is right now. You're never going to have a 10 or 11 game lead in the division that guarantees you playoffs with a lineup like this that's on pace to shatter the major league home run record. I mean, you're you're in the playoffs yeah. with the best power hitting lineup in baseball. Like your window doesn't get wider than this. No, nope. and they and they I mean, and they have they signed a bunch of guys, they have some young guys, but like you look at what a CJ Crone is doing. I think he's got one year, more year R maybe, but Nelson Cruz option, but he's he's older. Um scope, you know, ha- it's all these things at the beginning of the season that that said we're hoping all these things break right. They've all broken right this year. Yeah. And there's no guarantee that that happens even next year or or whatever. So but like in the moment like yeah, the window just started cracking open this year and then it then it flew wide open. Like I don't think anybody they they certainly didn't think that it, they were going to be this good right now. There's no way that they thought that, but they are. They are that good. Don't deny it. So how, you know, find find a way to yeah. Do something, and it'll be interesting to see what they do because they're way smarter than me. They're way smarter than you, and they're they've got more guys that are smarter than them looking at all of the options. So it's gonna be fascinating to see what they are willing to give up. I trust that they're gonna make the right decision, and that's I, I just I have a good feeling with whatever I think and the names that we're throwing out. I think what you just said is 100% right. These yeah. are guys who are, like, look what they've put together so far this year. Look what they saw in Jorge Polanco and Max Kepler. They, so they definitely see the matrix in the right way. Uh, Mike M. has a question here in the last two or three minutes. He says, uh, and you can tweet this, at Glenn Perkins, at Phil Mackey, at Derek Wetmore. How has youth and high school baseball changed over the last 20 years from when you were going through those same systems? I mean, like, launch angle is definitely more of a thing now for hitters, right? Yeah, and I don't know. I mean, I know that, like... College baseball has changed a lot, like what the U is doing now with the with the data and the the cameras and the stuff that they even they use like in their in their hitting facility um, is is crazy. The, the different the different I mean essentially it's a lot of the you know the high speed the the rep solo type of stuff that that big league teams big league organizations are doing they're doing there. I don't really know what's you know I think probably the biggest thing is. The focus on pitch counts and like pitcher health. I mean, like I went out and threw nine. I think I threw nineteen out of twenty five games my senior high school. Would you feel like back to back and? Well, yeah, I think I would throw like on a Tuesday and then I'd throw again on Friday. Yeah, I mean, just I was the best pitcher on the team, so they were like, yeah, and I was like, yeah, my arm feels good, you know. So now that it's it's those they're trying to keep guys healthy. I think is probably the biggest thing, and that's not that's not like a a you know school by school. It's just more maybe of like an MSHSL thing. Um, you know what that MLB pitch smart and all those things that they do now to just to, to like try to ensure that guys aren't getting Tommy John at 16 anymore like that you know that was that was a thing that was going on for a while so other than that I I mean I don't really know I have not watched I remember I watched, the last time I watched a high school baseball game was like maybe 2005 or six and. I remember thinking like there was no way I was this bad at baseball. Like, I feel like it's kids amazing are, how yeah, and I'm sure I, I'm sure obviously I was like, but that's just the difference from high school to college to pro baseball. Like everybody gets better, and I feel like kids are just cyborgs now. There's just so many ways to like train your kid and send them to specialty off season camps and you know all of the different technology that you can use now as a high school. I went to I went to uh, I can't remember which facility it was, but I went to a facility like last summer just to check it out and and. And like the kids are literally working with like TrackMan. Like you have these fifteen-year-old kids who are working on their spin rates and stuff. Yeah, they're robots. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, it, it, all that stuff is so much more readily available now. I guess that 
You know, I, I, I wonder what, like, a, you know, like you used to go to Grand Slam batting cage and, like, try to drop bombs on, like, a 70-mile-an-hour fastball. <laughs> yeah. and With, like, the metal arm that would just come <laughs> yeah. and, like, fling the ball iron, at you. The iron mic, yeah. <laughs> now it's, now it, yeah, they're probably, like, I mean, even, like, the, the Gophers have the thing where you can take an at-bat against any pitcher in any stadium, and it, sh- like, fires the ball out of a video screen with, like, the guy throwing the ball. Yeah. So, I mean, you could go hit at, like, Rosenblatt Stadium or whatever the hell they call it now that, uh, College World Series Park, if you want. You can hit balls at Target Field. Back in our day, we had a metal arm flinging a yellow, like, dimpled ball <laughs> yeah. at you. Let's crank it up to 70. Super heavy, dimpled ball. <laughs> exactly. Um, thanks for listening, everyone. If you approve of the Score North Twin Show, we'd love for you to do us a favor. Give us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple or Spotify, wherever you listen. Definitely help spread the word to new listeners. Um, you're on TV this weekend, so I people am. want to come bother it's big, you. It's a big weekend, uh, but mostly come out and see Joe Maurer and uh, all that he did for uh, this organization. So uh, we will uh, we'll talk next week, I guess. Maybe we'll have Derek back. I don't know if he if he survives. Uh, will the headphone streak live on? That's yeah, the question. That's the that's the big thing going into next weekend. I'm Phil. He's Glenn. See you guys next week. See ya.